Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Assalamu alaikum dear viewers wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Firstly, I'd like to congratulate you all on the blessed occasion of the birth anniversary of Amir al-Mu'mineen, Imam Ali alayhi salam. My name is Yasir Ghiyadeen and I'll be moderating the session live from Vancouver, Canada. Just a little bit about myself, I am currently studying kinesiology at Langara College here in Vancouver. I strive, to, to, I strive my best to participate and serve the Muslim community here uh, in the Lower Mainland uh, alongside the Muslim Youth in Motion organization. Um, I love learning about physical and mental health and I am stoked to be able to moderate today's discussion which will be on teen addictions. I know this is one of the last sessions of the event but please hang in there, I promise it'll be worth it um, because I am honored to be able to introduce the respected panelists joining us today. Firstly, we have Sheikh Jihad Ismail. Sheikh Jihad completed a bachelor's degree in interpreting and translation from the University of Western Sydney. He decided to pursue his religious education at Al-Azhar University and after he graduated and returned to Sydney and after reading many Shi'i books, he decided to convert to the Shi'a school of thought. The Sheikh then went to Qom, Iran to modify his religious studies to the Shi'a school of thought. Sheikh Jihad is currently a freelance international English speaker and has held numerous government and non-government positions, the main one being an official government translator in the Australian court system. Alongside him today, we have Sarah Walji, who is a Canadian registered nurse working with the emergency psych department at Oakville Trafalgar Memorial Hospital while simultaneously completing her master's degree in global health. Sarah represents Young Nurses Internationally as a board member with the global campaign Nursing Now. Sarah has presented to global audiences in Qatar, Singapore, the UK, the States, and has participated in global healthcare service delivery in South America and the Middle East. In the past few years, Sarah has run for both municipal and federal office. So although one is all the way on the other side of the world for me in Sydney, Australia, and the other is a fellow Canadian neighbor with me here today, we have Sarah Walji and Sheikh, Ismail, Sheikh Jihad. Assalamu warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. Wa alaykum assalam warahmatullahi so we have a lot to cover in our topic today um, with only a limited amount of time. So I'll jump right into it by asking Sarah to give us an overview of the topic. So what are addictions and who are the most susceptible to addictions? Okay, thank you so much for opening up that discussion point for us today, Yasser. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I begin in the name of God, the most beneficial, the most merciful. So let's begin today's discussion by evaluating what exactly is an addiction. What are the risk factors that are, are associated with addictions? So when we say the word addiction, we oftentimes affiliate it with heavy uses of substances of various sort, including alcohol, including recreational drugs, but it is far more than that. It includes behaviors such as excessive internet use, such as pornography, such as engagement within risk behaviors that we will be discussing, discussing today. So the word addiction itself is used to refer to the engagement within a behavior or a use of a substance that is out of control, that in turn lead, leads to a negative impact on an individual's life, causing them harm in some capacity. It is a chronic disease involving changes within the brain where there's a disruption in the neural pathways. Dopamine is released in excess. And I think we were in discussion surrounding this when we did touch upon um, the uh, social media panel. So I'm glad that there was mention of this earlier. Um, but basically dopamine is the chemical that stimulates that high for us, that gives us that motivation piece, that makes us excited. And it, it is released in excess when individuals do engage within some form of addictive 
speech behavior or substance. And that's and to sustain that pattern of behavior or that risk related, um, basically the brain needs more of this coming in. And that in turn creates a higher tolerance, which in turn creates additional use or engagement within these behaviors. So oftentimes when describing an addiction, there are four C's, a craving, a loss of control in the amount of, of use or the frequency, a compulsion to use in excess quantities or additional quantities, and consequences, use despite the consequences that are affiliated with these behaviors or these substances. Some of the risk factors are genetics. So some individuals are more susceptible to genetic-based patterns where they are more engaging within the risk-based behaviors. They have a higher susceptibility to um, addictive properties of certain substances, interactions within the brain. So this whole idea of feeling good, uh, the release of dopamine, the immediate reward experience is really big. The environment an individual comes from, so the home environment, the home life of this individual, the society that they're actively a part of, the community of support. Are there other individuals who use this as a type of coping strategy, for instance? Other mental health-based concerns, about half of all individuals who do go into a substance-based pattern of behavior do oftentimes have some kind of mental health-related concern at some point within their lifetime. And then coping, coping with thoughts and feelings. So people may turn to an addictive behavior or substance as a means of coping with a difficult situation or regulating the emotions affiliated with that situation. And today we will be focusing on teens and because teens and young adults are very much more vulnerable to the addictions-based um, topics of discussion. And the reason for that is because they're very much in that development phase. The brain is still at a point where it's still developing. Uh, there's a limited impulse control and in turn, there could be subsequent impacts that stay with this individual over the long term and negatively impact their life for the long duration of it. And we'll get into that when we do go into certain types of addictive related discussion topics today. Thank you for that, Sarah. That's a great point. Um, it's important to remember the environment and the risk factors for being uh, falling into addictions. So, um, Shekhna, I'm sure that you've experienced situations of teen addictions before. So what are some common types of addictions you see in the community and how do you see the community presenting it? Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi al-tayyibin al-tahirin. First and foremost, thank you for allowing me or availing me of the opportunity to participate in this great event. And I thank uh, Sister Sarah for a comprehensive uh, uh, definition of what an addiction is. If I may add with her permission that I deal more with the behavioral addiction or dependency because we have two, the chemical and the uh, behavioral. So I deal more with the uh, addictions towards or dependency towards, for example, pornography, uh, uh, gambling, and so on and so forth. I'm not that much into drug dependency and, and so on and so forth. That I leave to the expert. And Alhamdulillah, we have a lot of people in within our community that have uh, uh, dealt with these kind of addictions and dependencies. But from uh, uh, as far as the community is concerned, and as as far as my work is concerned, and I'm speaking humbly from my own uh, experience with people who have uh, 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 developed some sort of a dependency or behavioral dependencies towards, you know, the social media and uh, gambling and so on and so forth. 
I found myself from my own personal experience dealing with these cases that uh, uh, by myself alone, counseling these people or giving therapy to these people is not going to be enough. So what I've done is I've, I've uh, involved a team of psychologists and therapists, both who are uh, trained uh, uh, in their field as uh, counselors and as psychologists, and as well as being very much in tune with religious teachings and they themselves are very spiritual and very practicing uh, uh, Muslims in their own uh, way. So uh, initially, the community is faced with these particular predicaments and these particular situations. So they are referred to me uh, uh, through either the mosque or through uh, online services that we have or Facebook or what have you through private messages. So they come to me and that's when the first initial uh, uh, pro, uh, uh, consultation starts. However, having said that, it is unfortunate, unfortunate that the community still treats these dependencies as a big taboo, that they don't want to speak about it and they don't want to actually uh, 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 believe that it is happening within their own household. That is something that we need to address first that being a Muslim, and I say this very uh, conservatively, being a Muslim does not mean guaranteed immunity against these dependencies. We need to take into account, as Sister Sarah said, the, the environmental, the family, the economic pressures, the peer pressures, and all these combined together are giving rise to uh, uh, exacerbated form of dependencies. So, uh, uh, first and foremost, you need to break these particular stigmas in the mind of the community and in particular in the mind of the parents. Although it is difficult, although it's challenging, but we need to be realistic and we can't just remain idealistic that this is not going to happen within my household or within my uh, setup as a family. And when it happens, I just cannot deal with it on the basis of anger, rejection, dejection, you know, and, and uh, uh, saying to my kids, for example, if you don't stop, I will disown you. These uh, uh, so-called conventional methodologies cannot work in the challenges that our youth are uh, uh, facing today. So we have developed that system of uh, uh, counseling these particular uh, uh, dependencies by team effort and referral services within the community. And we find that it is working really well when we engage the services of therapists and psychologists and doctors in that regard. And parents or the community need to support us in that by acknowledging that the use of these services can actually produce uh, uh, um, what we call outcomes and positive uh, uh, outcomes in that regard. Yeah, it's it's definitely important to uh, make sure we end the stigma around these addictions and uh, make sure we address them as much as we can. Um, so, Shekna, before I let you go, um, I know you're short on time, but I just wanted Sorry. to ask you, um, what are some recommendations you give to your community um, for strategies and coping mechanisms that we could benefit from to avoid um, numbing ourselves from the stresses of life? Well, I think, number one, parents need to realize that when their kids are growing and they are of a particular age where they hit the age of puberty or what we call accountability according to jurisprudential terminology is that leading up to this particular uh, phase in life 
parents need to befriend their children in the sense that children can confine in their parents more than they can find in their friends, right? Because mm -hmm. friends may give the wrong advice, but parents would always want the best for the children. And if parents can actually develop a methodology in place where they can be open, uh, 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 progressive, uh, uh, able to listen to the concerns of the children and so on and so forth, then in that way, we can get the trust of these children and we can help them even more with their dependencies. Transparency in relationships at home is of paramount importance. Transparency and access service to these kind of children within our setups, as whether it's the mosques, the Husseiniyat, the alims themselves, the alims need to develop a new methodology in the sense that they are very much accessible. We cannot live in an era where a alim address is no longer even known to the community as if he lives in Mars or Uranus or God knows what. He needs to be part and parcel of the community and be accessed just like Ahlul Bayt were very much readily accessible to the community. Yes, I know it is taxing on the alim and his family, but if we have put our positions or ourselves in that positions as alims and mentors and educators to the community, we need to be out there. We need to be accessible. And this is very important and of paramount importance to uh, 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 put in place. Secondly, when we talk about spirituality, we cannot talk about it from a book perspective, just like our previous speakers spoke about. For example, Sheikh Bilal, may Allah bless him, and Dr. Farooq. I was very much, you know, uh, uh, impressed by the presentation of both uh, uh, brothers in the sense that practicality or practical spirituality is of more benefit than just talking about it from the mimbar. We need to practice practic practically spirituality within our community. The question of God consciousness, the question of wara has to be presented in a paradigm by those who are educators so people can see physically that it actually gives dividends and it works for people who develop a methodology of, for example, musharata or muraqaba or muhasaba, which is setting goals and uh, uh, trying to bring ourselves to account in, in regard to setting these goals and so, so on and so forth, in order to reduce these particular uh, uh, challenges and, and uh, uh, impose sometimes self-imposed challenges on ourselves as community members. Thank you for that, Sheikh. Now, uh, just yes. Sorry. Yeah. So, no worries. Yeah. Um, if uh, just before I let you go, um, is there anything yes. you any last uh, words? Um, any anything you want to plug yeah. in? Look, I, I I I am putting myself out here, despite my very busy schedule. That please, if you have a problem of that magnitude, contact me on my two pages of Facebook. Uh, we also have an app that not so many people know about, but it's called Ask Those Who Know. It is a very useful app. There is about 35 different alims from all walks of life who are members of that particular app. It can be downloaded from the app store. It's called Ask Those Who Know. It's a great uh, 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 online service that we can, you know, exchange views and answers and so on and so forth and give referral services to people who are actually in need of such uh, 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 help that we can offer at hand. And I hope uh, uh, we can be of, of benefit to the community at large.
Thank you so much, Shekhna, for that. It's an honor for for having you with us today. Fantastic. um, Thank you for having me. We'll transition, no worries. We'll transition um, to (laughs) Sister Sarah. Sorry about that. Um, So here, let's dive in specifically into some addictions, maybe substance abuse, gambling, social media, pornography. Um, So what are some implications and effects of addictions? And like, how do they affect our mental well-being? How do they affect um, the ability, to, the ability to develop meaningful relationships? And how does it affect our occupational satisfaction? Yeah. So there's a number of different impacts that go across the board and beyond. Um, so the harms of engagement within a risk-based behavior with an, induct- an addictive substance substance can have various impacts on an individual's life. We're talking about things from feelings of anxiety, irritability and presentation, depression, loss of hope, feelings of emptiness. So it impacts one on a mental health level, for instance, and let's start just there. So we know that I mentioned 50%, almost 50% of cases of substance use do have an overlap with mental health-based concerns. So there is something that is residually there. There's a void that may be potentially being filled. There is something that could be coming out of the woodworks as this addiction is carrying on. What are we kind of dealing with here? And so when you're looking at that aspect of things, Sheikh Jahan was really good in mentioning the comprehensive supportive environments that individuals do need to be within when going through an addictive phase when trying to deal with an addictive behavior or an addictive pattern of behavior um there is that aspect of reaching out for help so reaching out for support from various types of mental health based support there because of the overlaps that we do have and i could get into that just a little bit later and i think i will touch upon that when we're closing off on this panel I'll mention different types of supports that are available within the community um but but to move this discussion on forward an additional impact is the trouble with clarity thinking. So we're looking at individuals who may not be able to sustain a regular pattern of behavior, uh, may not be able to sustain a regular lifestyle. So how effective are you at your job, for instance, For instance, if you're struggling with a dependency concern, or you're struggling with engagement within a risk-based behavior? Can you show up to work every day? Can you think while you're on your job? Do you have the ability to focus? How are you spending your money that you're earning? So then this leads us to expenses. Are we taking care of our fundamental needs? Are we paying money towards rent, food, and other essential items? Or are we spending it on this addictive-based pattern of behavior? Are we spending it on a substance? Are we spending it on the alcohol, on the weed, on the other things in life that we're addicted to at this point? And oftentimes, this leads to a disruptive lifestyle for this individual, transient lifestyle. So homelessness has a high affiliation with use of addictive substances. So the drugs, the alcohol, oftentimes we have transient cases of individuals who risk not having a place that's safe for them to go back to. And that's something that we also got to talk about in regards to how we're sustaining these individuals, how we're supporting them. It leads to legal problems, for instance, when you're not in the right state of mind, when you're not, when you're not able to take control over your entire lifestyle when you're engaging in th- in substances, for instance, that do alter the state of your well-being and your mind and your ability to make judgment calls. You might make impulsive decisions in those moments that you're not completely aware of and in turn lead to regal, uh, legal ramifications that do tend to happen. Blackout periods, injuries while under the influence, problems with relationships, this one's massive. So if we're looking at behaviors such such as pornography, for instance. How does that impact my 
my relationship with my significant other? How's that going to impact your level of intimacy, your expectations in those relationships? Are we now placing unreal expectations on the significant other that we're with? That will in turn manifest into arguments and disruptive relationships that we're not able to sustain? Most likely, yes. And that's the negative implications of very addictive behaviors is we don't have that base in reality anymore. Uh, we're losing those respect for boundaries. There's often diminutive behaviors that often ensue with these uh, addictive based patterns of behavior as well. So there's a multitude of different impacts that do, that do tend to play into this topic. And these are only a few to highlight, but you can see how disrupted, disruptive it is to the nature of that individual's life. Yeah, we do see uh, like suicide rates, depression rates increasing um, due to the dependency on these addictions. So um, if you could provide us with some additional resources, how does someone ask for help? Yeah, so Shake Your Head was very, very comprehensive at advocating for support and outlining how he does go about supporting communities. And to be honest, there is no one size fits all. There is no magic pill here, solve solution that I can hand to you. Every individual is unique. And we need to be aware that every individual is unique. The need for safe spaces to cultivate this conversation, to create this environment where individuals can come to you, can talk, we can have these conversations. And it's not judgmental, it's not stigmatized. And that's something that he was highlighting as well. It's the parents not telling their kids, oh my goodness, you've done something bad and scolding them and all the implications of those behaviors. Everybody's aware of that when they do fall into these patterns of behaviors. So you know there's something disruptive, they know there's something wrong, but the whole idea is to have this conversation on a very open field. Okay, we've identified there's a concern, but do I feel like I'm supported enough to have this conversation? So non-judgmental environments are massive with this. Because just like anything that's a health-based concern, it plays back to the idea that some things are very embarrassing to address. Take urinary continence, for example, the involuntary ability to basically hold your urine or use the washroom at any given point. It's an embarrassing topic of discussion. It's a health-related concern. But what happens is that when we go to the doctor and we might be experiencing that, it's not something that's gonna be an easy conversation. It's not something that we're gonna talk about. It's gross, it's disgusting, we don't wanna go there. And that's something that we wanna highlight as well with addictions. It's something that can be shielded with a lot of embarrassment for this person coming forward. So empathize with that person on the level of any other health-based concern that might be uh, that might be just as embarrassing for you to go forward to a doctor about. It's we have to have that level of empathy when we're interacting with individuals going through any kind of loss of control. Uh, another example of things that we do support individuals with is counseling and therapy. So counseling and therapy is massive. And I'm glad that Sheikh Jihad also mentioned this as well, where he did indicate that he has this uh, multidisciplinary support system that does help him explore these, these individuals who do come forward, these cases that are brought forward. So counseling and therapy involving professionals to assess the underlying concerns. What is there in addition to the, to the addictive behavior or the substance abuse? Is there emotional distress? Are we kind of trying to fall into a pattern of addictive behaviors or addictive substance use because we're avoiding something? What's the underlying cause? And so that ability to have that conversation with the therapist or counselor in that, in that situation is very, very fundamentally important. Then we can move into strategies like cognitive behavioral therapy to help individuals manage those negative thoughts and help them 
kind of compensate with those situations and find alternative means of coping. Uh, techniques such as motivational interviewing are oftentimes effective with anybody trying to quit a substance. Uh, so different types of techniques kind of play into that. Then we go to the medication piece. Is there a need for medications to be involved? Somebody's got an underlying mental health-based concern. Do we need to address that before we potentially cut the cycle of dependence, cut the cycle of use? Potentially, if there's depression and a means of coping has been, oh, I'm going to go out and I'm going to smoke some marijuana and I'm going to cope that way, then maybe we should be addressing the depression side of things. In conjunction with the therapy, we should potentially look at antidepressant medications that are appropriate in that situation if that individual qualifies for them. So oftentimes there's a multifold level of strategies that can be put down. Another big thing to note is that um, harm reductions really, really important in this situation. So when individuals do use a substance of choice, for instance, let's talk alcohol, you're drinking in excess. You can't quit off the bat. That's not the way that works. So oftentimes that could be detrimental to someone's health. It could be potentially fatal. So we got to recognize that there is a harm reduction model in place where we are diminishing that over the span of whatever amount of time that we lay down. It's not an overnight quick, easy fix. That's it, khalas, it's gone. It's not gonna happen like that. And that's very real reality. It's a process and that's like anything surrounding mental health. It's a process of how well and how effective and how how supportive we can be for that individual. And we've got to recognize that going in. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it's really important to be able to, I hope we can like take it, tease these um, ideas to our communities and to our households to open a safe environment for us to speak about this, um, to allow people to uh, speak up from uh, during un uncomfortable situations. Um, so I think our time is up. And so if you wanted to give any last words, if you wanted to plug yourself, any social media handles, your websites, books, whatever it may be, shout out your parents if you wanted to, go ahead, now's your chance. Um, well, first thing, if anybody has any concerns, feel free to get in touch with me. Uh, my Twitter is just at my first name, last name, Sarah Walji, and my Instagram's at the Global Health Nurse. So feel free to reach out to me throughout whatever media you guys do need and whatever's convenient and appropriate. Oftentimes I get conversations from individuals from various parts of the world, and then I help reconnect them to resources that are more local. I'm not a sustainable support, so I'd like to make that very, very clear. I just do immediate, oh, here's a question. Maybe I can direct you here kind of resource seeking. The other thing is that utilize your virtual spaces right now. I know that we're in the midst of a pandemic. A lot of resources have transitioned into a virtual sphere. So use of virtual safe spaces is really, really important in this situation, especially right now where we don't have that face-to-face -face interaction. So there's a number of apps, there's a number of resources that have been published online. Digital therapists are now a big things. So utilization of those, and you can navigate them on a regional level as well. Everybody's from a different part of the world. Um, so unfortunately, I don't have one URL to fit everything. But if you look for local community supports, uh, local crisis intervention alliance, local hotlines, local local addictions lines, or, sub, or some kind of program based around that nature, usually it does lead you into a mental health system of sorts that you can reconnect with. And if anybody, again, has any questions, feel free to reach out. Awesome. Thank you so much, Sarah, for this amazing talk. Um, thank you to the organizers for allowing us a platform to be able to spread this message and um, talk about this sensitive topic. Um, and thank you all. I hope the viewers 
can take something away and implement it in their communities. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.